Hello again, creeps, critters, and creatures of all shape and size. We're back with another. We're back with another episode. Uh, I'm Josh. That's Cole, and uh, today we're talking about the 2018 film, The House That Jack Built, by Lars von Trier. Uh, this movie follows the exploits of a serial killer in a sort of a flashback scenario. Uh, sorry, Matt Dillon plays the lead character, Jack, uh, who we follow throughout the entire film. Um, and it basically opens with him talking to a man he calls Verge, who is Virgil, who is this, like, something-something century poet. As this poet, Verge, uh, leads him through the nine circles of hell. And while they're doing that, uh, Jack recounts his exploits as a serial killer, kind of trying to justify them as sort of like a grand artistic gesture. Um, but, uh, yeah, we see a whole bunch of shit go down. What did you think of this movie, Cole? I really liked it. Yeah. Overall. Um, I really didn't think I was going to in the first 15 minutes. Interesting. It, it, it The first... Okay, so when this movie starts, I really felt like uh, maybe I had fallen asleep and I was just having a nightmare. Cause the, uh, so Uma Thurman yeah. is in this film. And For the first, like, five, ten minutes. Yeah, she makes like, a, like just such a small cameo. Yo, her character drove me nuts. That, and that's the thing, like, the, the dialogue exchange between the two of them, I didn't know if that was what she was actually saying. Or if it was meant to be how he was interpreting it. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I like that would be kind of a cool take for a serial killer where like someone's looking at you and be like, you know, if I was going to kill me. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, right. Um, yeah, and I, I just felt that the, the, the pacing and the, the, the way things went at like the very beginning were just super weird. And I found out about like the, I'm going to say like the 20 minute mark, this movie really got its footing. And like from that point on, it's... Yeah, I, like when this Slick. opened, like the first the first couple of minutes, I'm like, maybe this film was a mistake. Like, I don't really, I'm not really that engaged. And then, the more that the character Jack talks to Uma, Uma Thurman, um, like the more that back and forth goes, the like more and more I was hooked. And then, like within five minutes, I was deep into this movie like i it just it sucked me in and right off the top i'm gonna say like this is easily the most watchable lars von trier film that i've ever seen the only other one i know that he did was antichrist because Oof. you informed me yeah that, that was him yeah that was antichrist <laughs> features a lot of a lot of things that i wish that i hadn't seen mm-hmm. i love willem dafoe but good grief it's it's because I love Willem Dafoe that I don't want to <laughs> see. Either way, though, the, the, this film I felt was infinitely more engaging, and like I, I just I love the the way that it's paced because I felt like it's it kind of has like a snowball effect, and I I, I felt I, I found myself enjoying it more and more as the movie 
goes on. Absolutely. Like there's a there's a, a scene or two like halfway through the film where it just like I was sitting there by myself. I think I might have consumed some cannabis and like I my I had some jaw drop jaw dropping moments. Uh there are a couple scenes where I was just like hands to the side of my head like oh you know actually yeah that, that there are a few like oh like i mean we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll get to everything i'm sure but there there there's also a few scenes that um oh okay i don't want to jump ahead too far sure but i got to say this before i forget there there's a scene uh where flashbacks to like when he was a kid yeah and he catches a duck oh my god or dude. A, a duckling yeah in a fishing net and he cuts off one of its feet with yeah. like a pair of shears. I, without changing my facial expression, I hit pause, and I just googled. I was like, "Whoa, hold on!" <laughs> like, um, yeah, because I, like, I, I, I kind of figured like there, there's no way that you would be able to get past you. You couldn't do that you, to you a live do thing, that, right? But it, like that, the it I don't know how they did it. So uh, apparently they used a prosthetic leg, and I guess it must have had its actual foot tucked up. Right. Um, interestingly enough, PETA actually wrote a statement in his defense. Wow. Because not only did they verify that uh, no animals were harmed, but they thought that it uh, was doing a somewhat of a good service. That, that's that's a very common characteristic of actual young Oh, 100%. So, like sociopaths and, and serial killers. Yeah, animal mutilation is um, in the triad of the things that lead to being a serial killer, according to... I don't recall uh, the doctor that put that together, but it's animal mutilation, um, uh, arson, and uh, I think typically um, traumatic injury to the head. Like, those three mm. things, like, if you have... if, if you, The McDonald triad is what it's called. Um, so if you exhibit these three things, typically, like you are on the path to becoming a serial killer. I, I watch and listen to a lot of true crime, and to that, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more later. But Matt Dillon and Matt Dillon plays this character perfectly, um, but the writing of the character is so it 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 does such perfect justice to what a real silly serial killer might be thinking or uh, like the actions that he takes like they did it it was like what it was almost like watching a documentary of a serial killer's life yeah. like it, it was so it was so wonderfully done i think that kind of goes hand in hand with me enjoying the film more right as it progressed because the first bit of this film felt more like something completely different mm -hmm. and i i don't usually enjoy films that uh focus on a serial killer right and same yeah like they, they just usually kind of bore me and i thought that that's what this was going to be for like two plus hours but uh i found that the majority of like my enjoyment came from their dialogue exchanges because like, it's yeah, like, so oh, well it's, written it's just juicy and um but e either way I, w I would just say just, just so we can get it out of the way like uh this is definitely like not a film for squeamish people because no th th there's definitely a few scenes that, like that, <laughs> the, the, the scene that we've already discussed i've seen a lot of stuff that was hard to watch it like, was I, exceedingly hard to watch like i i too googled it afterward and i was like oh, actually no i waited until the film was done and then i saw in the credits that no animals were harmed in the filming of this film of this movie and i'm like okay 
so that duckling didn't actually get its fucking foot snipped off because that was so revolting to see. They did such a fucking wonderful job of of that specific scene. I I don't think I've ever googled something that fast. <laughs> Let's actually like get into yep. uh, yeah. the 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 movie. Uh, so it opens with uh, Jack, Real played black. by Matt Dillon, talking to. It, it's just black. The screen is black, and you just hear the these disembodied voices having a conversation. Um, and you cut. You basically get the idea that uh, the character Jack is going to relay his life, I guess. Um, and then the first that we see him he's driving on this um i guess it takes place in the 80s in um in washington state which is very close to us uh so like the visuals were i love the pacific northwest it's it's beautiful uh but he's driving down this lonesome road in a sweet red van um and comes upon uh uma thurman who is broken down on the side of the road uh and he does she run out in front of his vehicle, or does he stop and pick her up? I think she runs in front of his Because vehicle. her character is so intrusive. So, okay, so he picks her up after she sort of insinuates herself into his life. And then as they're driving down the road, and he's, he's, he's taking her to a blacksmith that he knows that can fix the jack that she has for her vehicle that is broken, and she's trying to change a tire. And so as they're driving to this blacksmith, she's just chattering on and on and on incessantly, like so annoyingly, so intrusively. And then she starts talking about um, him being a serial killer and all of the mistakes that he's made to this point. Like, well, this is why you can't kill me because the this, 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 and this, like, the, the way that she talks to him, the way she talks down to him, like by the time that he actually takes her out, you're almost on his side because she's just, well, I was almost on his side. Like she's just such a, such an annoying character. Yeah. Kudos for her acting ability. But yeah. Wow. Just ooh. very, very frustrating. Yeah. But like, yeah. Once like the, the whole the way that the dialogue is done in that opening scene just... Whew, man, my, my, my blood pressure. <laughs> just start thump, 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 thump. Uh, they eventually get the Jack fixed. And then as Jack is trying to help her fix her tire, the Jack breaks because I guess the weld wasn't very good. So then they pile back into his van. And I don't especially recall... Are they going back to the blacksmith or are they just driving he doesn't invite her back into the vehicle right she just gets in she's like oh. she, she's just this whole time she's insinuating herself like he's he's saying i have better things to do i have i i like it i don't have time for this kind of thing and she just insinuates herself into mm -hmm. his life over and over and over again but yes it is to go back to i, I think his name is sunny sunny yeah but yeah I think she insinuates that she would indeed use the tire iron set between them to kill her. If, right. If she were a serial killer in his yeah. shoes, which he is not, or so she thinks. And then she comes out and says, you know what? I think I was wrong. You, I don't think that you could be a serial killer. You don't have the guts for it. 
and then just like keeps chip, 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 chipping away at him. And then he slams on the brakes and in like just just so immediately smashes her in the face with this jack and thus begins his career as a serial killer. And like I actually I was kind of distracted the first time I was watching this and I had to rewind because I was I looked away for a minute and then all of a sudden she's dead. Yep. So I had to like back to the start of that scene and then just it's it happens so quickly but the makeup that they do like all throughout this film the makeup work is bar none it's it's amazing uh but this like when he just slams her in the, slams the jack into her face takes her out and then uh he goes on to dispose of her car and then as we see this happening he's narrating this portion to uh Virgil the guy who's accompanying him on his trip to hell which actually isn't explicitly stated at the start we don't really find that out until way later in the film basically like as soon as the film opens and they're talking that's kind of the sense that i got that he was talking to like a sort of a spirit guide everything that was going to happen was going to be a flashback that's the sense that i got um but yeah so he's narrating it and he says something about uh we see him drive her car off the road into the woods and then he makes a comment about how he's kind of dissatisfied because you can still see it from the road but nothing ever came of it um and this is where we also get introduced to his uh walk-in freezer that he owns in in a property that he bought on a street i think it's prospect street with the sign on the building had the name Prospect sort of like ripped off, so nobody ever really knew where it was. Uh, so he brings her back there and dumps her. That's the first body that he brings there. What a convenient cooler for a serial killer. That's a yeah. No, sure. There's a lot of real estate. That's just yeah. yeah that's a <laughs> the architect thing too. Like they they kind of lightly touch on that, but they mm-hmm. don't go too deep because yeah. I, I mean, I, it I, becomes a pretty important part at the end of the film. I, yes. But uh, throughout it, I think it just kind of basically shows like multiple failed attempts at him right. trying to build his own home. Yeah. Like but, he buys this plot of land and then as we go through his story, he's started to build a home, then subsequently demolishes it and starts again and starts then demolishes and starts again. Like it happened over five times, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the portion of the film though that kind of really started picking up for me I, I think this is the uh, I'm not sure if they call them occurrences or incident incidents yeah the second incident he's he he, he basically poses as like a door to door salesman yeah to, oh at the widow Claire's house yeah, yeah. To, to trick his next victim that exchange I actually got a few laughs out of oh yeah because he was trying like he it, it's like watching him play a Dungeons and Dragons character that has all the wrong stats, everything in a strength, and like he's just like <laughs> zero charisma. This woman's just couldn't be more firm about not letting him into her house. Uh like she doesn't open the screen door. And he keeps changing his story and then eventually she buys it. Well it's the money. And like well like the, if you if he, you can he double my pension. surprise because yeah. I'm pretty sure his reaction when she's like hey, you can you can double my pension like Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. That, that whole exchange, uh, she, 
I think the only thing I've the only other thing I've ever seen her in I, I forgive me for forgetting the actress's name but um, the only thing I uh, that I recognize her from is Fargo. I I don't know who she would have been, but I'm I, pretty sure she plays um, William H Macy's wife. Oh wait, is that right? In any case, I'm pretty sure she's in it. I've seen her face. Yeah, before, for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that scene was such like a perfect mix of being hideously awkward and just like he, his comedic timing, although unintentional. Just mm. I also loved in that scene, like throughout this film, the camera work is so uncomfortable. Like it does a lot of um, it's 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 rarely ever stable, and it's it's kind of constantly a little bit shifting and like zooming in and zooming out and kind of like moving around, which is like sort of the erratic pattern that I'm sure his brain goes. through through um but in this specific instance it it when it's from her perspective or switches back to his perspective there's that screen door between them and often the focus shifts from the person outside the screen door to like the the screen door sort of obfuscating his face and vice versa and just the camera work in this scene specifically is very uh it really grounds you in that specific spot like that threshold of the door and that this sort of tension that's built between their conversation and the way that the camera works in that one scene just i think that's where this film really like hooked me yeah for 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 me that was this this interaction is where i got hooked the way i felt watching it was kind of like i was sitting like like i'm just awkwardly between these two people <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to let this guy in here? <laughs> I wouldn't. He seems kind of dodgy to me. But at the same time, you don't want to say that in front of like... Hey. Can, you, can you just let him in so we can get out of here, please? Yeah, yeah. Like, I felt trapped. Like, I... It was so well-paced to be uncomfortable. Like, there are so many times where he should have just left. Or... Like, like yes. you see his brain making up these excuses. Like, oh, well, you know, I wish I could show you my badge. But it's out for polishing. And it, because, you know, I got a promotion. But it's... I'm not at liberty to discuss, discuss the promotion that I get. Like, oh, it's just like such obvious fakery. But he just commits to it and keeps going with it and eventually gets her hooked on the money. But he also does such a good job of looking through the screen door, seeing her husband's um, uh, like railroad sort of commendation on the wall in the, in the within the home. So he kind of understands who her husband is. And then also kind of, I don't know if he's been casing her for a while or if this is like a, a pretty fresh interaction, but he, it, it just shows that he, while he doesn't have any sort of feelings about people, he is clearly extremely intelligent and very quick. Mm -hmm. This, this scene um, or this like portion of the film really establishes his credibility as like an incredibly intelligent person. When he gets into the house the pace at which that interaction turns once again like I, like I already stated i felt like i was trapped between the two of them outside yeah and now i feel like i somehow got pulled in like, now you're in the home like, it's almost as though like you're a paper boy and I, I i i just i got onto the porch i put the paper down and when i turned around he was right there <laughs> and for some reason she doesn't notice me and when he comes into the house like he pushes me in yeah. <laughs> now you're just stuck here I just want to go home uh, like if you want to give me a tip that'd be great but well he like pretty quickly 
he starts to he goes off on this monologue of of how embarrassing it is to be a, a door-to-door insurance salesman and kind of I guess the way that he's talking is to sort of make her feel bad for him excuse me and then as she goes to make him tea he just like decides that's the moment and then starts choking her or grabs her brings her into like drags her back into the living room uh, and then falls and hurts himself and he's choked her enough that she's sort of like not on her game and so he's recovering a little bit she gets up and she starts to escape and then he grabs her again and then chokes her what he thinks is to death and then there's just that prolonged scene where she like comes to and is choking and and sort of gargling and still alive and still trying to communicate and he seems to feel bad but we also know that he doesn't feel bad he feels bad that he didn't kill her and now he has to witness her like limply clinging on to life or whatever I think he has the same feeling as though he like kind of botched a painting. Exactly. Like that's not where the stroke was supposed to go. Like, oh, now I gotta fucking erase this thing. He just realized that he had paint on like the side of his hand that he's been dragging along the canvas. It also does such a good job of illustrating how, again, as a big fan of true crime and a a big consumer of true crime stories, uh, this scene in particular does such a good job of showing he's learning how to kill like at this point he doesn't really know how long it takes to strangle a person or or how much force he has to use or anything like that so he thinks that he strangled her out and then when she's not dead he's kind of distraught and then out comes the knife after propping her head up on a pillow and like making her comfortable as she's like I guess semi-conscious but that is that's the scene right where he like positions the knife on top of her breast and then slams it down with his other hand oh oh every all of the practical effects in this film are just so fucking rad dude that looks so good it's just so weird it felt too real yeah oh especially when we get to I think it's the next it might be the next incident where things really get real or where it really got real for me with the kids. Oh yeah. Is that the next one or the one I, after? I I, I, th- I think that's the next one. Okay. It's I, I'm, I might have two of them sure. in the wrong order. It doesn't matter. It's a long, like I think it clocks in almost three hours. I think it's two forty. Right. Yeah. And, and sir, that, that's, that's another uh, thing where I was going to say like at the beginning, I think the reason I was kind of like, Oh man, I'm not going to, get into this was like the pacing at the beginning is mm-hmm. there, there's a slow burn and then there's that yeah and i was like as oh, soon man. as he slams her in the face with that jack you're like okay we're in yeah, yeah like, maybe maybe all right yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and honestly i find that like throughout the entire thing the dialogue i am a sucker for dialogue i like quentin tarantino is my favorite director i love Dialogue. I, I love witty dialogue between people. And just like I find that the writing for the dialogue in this film is is some of the best I've ever seen. It's so engaging. Like I was hanging on every word basically throughout the entire thing. I'm sure I've already mentioned, but a lot of my favorite parts of this film 
were just the interactions between Jack and Virgil. Yeah. I might end up saying it through like the rest of this episode, but Matt Dillon is so perfectly cast and did such a good job with this role. Mm -hmm. He also, I, I, uh, I was reading that he based his character on Ted Bundy. Um, so he did a lot of research there and like as somebody who has studied Ted Bundy and listened to a lot of Ted Bundy podcasts and, and watch a lot of Ted he Bundy films. Well, no, sorry. <laughs> podcast episodes about Ted Bundy. I, th- I th- This is the most faithful reproduction of what it is to become and be a serial killer that I've ever seen in any film. Like, I don't know how much of that is on Matt Dillon as using Ted Bundy as his uh, sort of muse or how much of that is in the writing but whatever magic came together, it it just it works so f- beautifully, yeah, like, in a sort of super morbid and not actually beautiful way. It is kind of like how you mentioned earlier. It feels a lot like a documentary. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, like it's you're you're really getting a getting a bird's eye view of. Wasn't there this uh, mockumentary horror film that we watched one time where there were these people following a serial killer around? I just, that just popped into my head. I remember there being a, it might've been a horror comedy or it might've been a straight up horror film, but it was like a documentary crew following a serial killer. Hmm. Huh. Doesn't ring a bell. Like the closest thing I can think of is creep. No, 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 no. That's Which not is, creep. yeah. And oh, well, that's, oh, I can't wait to yeah, talk about that. Yeah, one. that's, that's going to be it. I love Mark Duplass. I'm I'm so glad that he and his brother like love working together and mm-hmm. they they put out some really cool stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 do we have anything more? Oh okay. So this oh, yeah. is also I got, I got some more stuff in the second. Well, this is where we also see after all of the the killing is done, this is where his OCD really kicks into overdrive, and we're introduced to this like extremely obsessive compulsive behavior that he has. Uh, and I, I think that was also really well done where he gets these, like, he's about to leave and then he has this flash of like, oh, maybe I didn't clean this area. And the way that was illustrated, like him just picturing a chair leg being lifted up and having like a couple drops of blood underneath and stuff like that. Um, and just the stress that he's conveying in that moment. And also the stress that the, that part of the scene, um, imbues into you, like, He's going to leave, and then, oh, he, he stops, and he has to go and do this thing. And then he's about to leave, and then he has to stop and go back and make sure that this thing is clean. And, like, back and back and back. That whole scene, I almost, I almost forgot that he committed a murder just because I was so concerned <laughs> about the cleanliness. Of like, yeah. oh, man, like, don't miss anything. Like, yeah. that just... <laughs> yeah, it was stressing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you hear the sirens coming of the approaching police vehicle, and he still stops and has to go in the house to try and clean something that was already clean. But the OCD wouldn't let him go. I, I love that whole um, interaction with when the like the police officer shows up. Well, that's another classic thing that serial killers do where they try and be... Or, or not necessarily serial killers, but people who have committed crimes then are way overly helpful to the police yeah for for me that was a small critique just because like i i'm sure that i'm wrong but i felt like it would be like 10 seconds after talking to this guy like yeah i think you did it yeah (laughs) like the cop goes up to the door and is and he's like well you know it might be open 
that uh, that was the dude that played Joe and Howell. Really? Yeah. I didn't make that connection. I, yeah, I just, I I think it's because we watched it so recently. I was like looking at his face. I was like, I've seen this guy before. Huh? But, yeah. Good for him. But the yeah, when he finally like talks his way out of the house, and he's like, all right, all right, I'm, I'm uh, I'll get out of your hair. Uh, and he ends up like lo- loading the body into his van. Oh no no no! He doesn't no, load the body he, into his okay, van. Okay, between the cop showing up to the house and him driving away, he has taken the body out of his van and stashed it out of basic, like basically just out of eye shot in the darkness, like yeah, totally right, in the open, like totally visible if it was light outside. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's nighttime, so the cop takes a quick look around, and he does such a good job of distracting the cop with his overly helpful. And overly descriptive. Like, he goes so deep into his explanation of why he's there. Like, way more details. If I'm not trying to tell you how to get away with murder. But the deeper into detail you go as you're trying to explain yourself away for being in a place, the more likely it is you have something to do with whatever happened there. Like, you want to keep things super concise, super clear, like... Basically enough to get you on your way. Like, he just goes so deep. Which you see his behavior change as he grows as a serial killer. But in this specific instance, he's doing, like, all of the things that are... I caught you red-handed 101. But yes, he removes the body from his vehicle. Just the the, the whole getaway scene where I get... he So he, he refastens the body bag with, like, a rope. Yeah. To the back of his truck and just drives off, and you're watching it. the 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 song "Fame" it plays pretty heavily in this film, almost like a theme song, and it, it yeah. seemed like a weird choice. It worked. Yeah, it's also of. it's also kind of like he does become famous as quote unquote Mister Sophisticated. Like mm-hmm. he gets newspaper famous as a serial killer, like throughout his career. Uh, so I suppose that that song fits well. I did find like from the tone of the film and the other music that's used, like that song in particular stands way out there and and is so antithetical to everything else that's happening. Yeah, it was a really weird choice. It's pretty jarring. <laughs> um, either way, so yeah, like that that whole scene you're just watching. I'm like, oh, leave that. Just a horrible bloody mess behind the, the like. There's that blood streak, man. What, what you would imagine a actually, uh, man, I don't know how accurate that is. I feel like there'd be a little bit more bouncing if it were actually. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, the road looked pretty flat. Yeah, there was a lot of gravel out. There's a big red streak uh, at the very yeah, least. Either way, he's leaving a wicked. I don't know what he was thinking. That was a well. He wasn't. He just wanted to get out of there, mm-hmm. and then much to his it's almost like i think his character sees this moment like so he gets back to his deep freeze unloads the body and oh my god the ruined mess of that face oh like the practical effects are just so fucking incredible i'm surprised that there was any body left by the time he got back (laughs) well you know body's pretty resilient like it's it's very it's a flimsy body like where we can die very easily but like the parts of the body are pretty resilient to it was wrapped in plastic i don't know man just to drive i feel like that was um 
It was like holding an eraser to like a belt yeah. sander or something. You know? <laughs> like, oh. like it should just be a nubbin at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think it's gonna <laughs> grind away all the bones. At least, like I was more picturing like you'd unzip the bag and it's just 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 flat on one side. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really mostly just looked like it caved in her face, but like that was so foul yeah. looking. Uh, but then there's this the rain unleashes and washes away this blood trail like he's mad at himself for kind of losing his grip and fleeing and leaving this trail all the way back to where he was going like where he was bringing the body then the rain opens up and washes it all away so he sort of sees that as like a divine like a thumbs up for what he's doing from god <laughs> like you go man you know I, I i know there's a smart sounding word that i could use there but it is escaping me the cops are going to say otherwise but i got your back yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. so he gets a th- thumbs up from god and stashes her body away and then i think after this he we then get more of him talking to virgil as um like background noise as we see him engaging with another woman who he then strangles to death because this happens a couple of years in the future or at least some amount of time in the future and he's like well killing has really like basically it shows that now he knows how to strangle properly and how much pressure to use and how long to hold it for and you even see him check his watch and like that I think I'm starting to get the hang of this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, it's, uh, I, I promise to everybody listening, I am not a killer. I so, don't I don't condone serial killing. I don't remember, think the killing of people is a good thing, but Do you remember back when you were saying that the like one of the tells of a serial killer is like that reassurance of like like just, just so you have all the information like I mean <laughs> I'll tell you why I can't be a serial killer. Let, let, let me tell you. All I'm trying to say is that I'm going to continuously just drool over how how well they have made this man out to be a killer and how accurate and, and beautiful it is. Like, it is, oh my God. It just so perfectly encapsulates. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to be a serial killer, but from all the yeah, things I mean, that I've read. Yeah, I'm just a guy, you know. <laughs> But uh, in any case, we see him check his watch. And I thought that little detail was another just like cherry on top of the continuous beautiful pie of building a serial killer. Um, And we get this kind of funny scene after he brings... Okay, so he brings her body to the deep freeze. And then she is frozen... And he grabs her body back because he was unsatisfied. Okay, so now at this point, he's also started taking photos of his victims, which he did actually at the widow Claire's house. He took her photo as well. Um, But he realizes that he was unsatisfied with those photos. So he grabs this frozen body, loads it into his van, and brings it back to her apartment where he killed her. But I guess he uses her body and Claire's body Mm -hmm. right, to to stage these photos. This is where he gives himself... Uh, the name Mr. Sophistication. He takes these photos, he writes his name, and then he sends them to the police. But um, we get that, like, 10-second scene watching him in fast motion walking up the stairs and down the stairs and up the stairs and down the stairs. And, like, anyway, he's able to get her up and down the stairs and take these photos. And then he leaves her body there and then sends the photos into the police. And 
moves on with his life as now he now he's been dubbed by himself Mr. Sophistication. When he's talking to Virgil, he's discussing the two of them in the photo shoot and mentions he's like, you know what, I think I actually captured a little bit of humor in my work too. And Virgil does like that, like Jack <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You little rascal. <laughs> like we hear kind of a few times through their conversations, Virgil's basically like, I've dealt with a lot of sick fucks, but you are the, by far the sickest. I'm nutty. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so after he gets through with these exploits, I believe this is where he finds a family. He says, oh, actually, I think Virgil brings up like, oh, so now you found yourself a family. And we see Jack in these uh, I get like a hunting area with a woman and two children. He has a sweet mustache. Is that what you just mimed to me? Oh yeah. He looks fucking. Man, I love Matt Dillon. He's so perfectly suited for this role. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything that I preferred over this performance. Like he, oh, this reinvigorated my love of Matt Dillon. Why don't you marry him? I would if I could. <laughs> Yeah, th- th- this this was my personal favorite segment, which... Oh, yeah. Okay, We're talking about a serial killer film. I am not... Off, off, yeah. like, well, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this <laughs> gruesome scene, like, from, like, like this, shit, this shit is vile, but... From an from a from an from a horror movie standpoint, and from things that are like <gasps> shocking and and boundary pushing I suppose to witness like it is it is my favorite segment of the film but I don't condone the actions contained therein you know like I the things that happen the things that are about to happen are not good things but I think they were really cool to watch because I know they're not real do we have all the bases covered I think I don't know. <laughs> this is this is really starting to feel more and more just like increasingly thin ice. Like uh, as we delve further into the film, I can just hear like that little. <laughs> yeah, and another thing this guy did that was super sick, like super cool, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, so some pretty tragic shit is about to happen. This is uh. Hey, if you for some reason haven't watched this and are listening to our description of this film. This is where things really start to take a very graphic turn. So should you want to go and watch this movie because you, for some reason, haven't seen it yet? Or if you find yourself a little bit squeamish and don't really want to deal with anything kind of uh, stomach turning, I would recommend you either turn the episode off until you've seen the scenes or just uh, maybe skip this one because things are about to get incredibly dark. I think that we have forgotten to mention that at some point earlier on in this film, we see we see this snippet of a scene where Matt Dillon is practicing facial expressions in a mirror uh, based on magazine clippings that he's done that are pasted on the wall. Um, and he's we, we understand that he is a sociopath who has no fear or maybe a psychopath. I'm not a scientist. I know that there are differences between the two, but in any case, he is mentally unwell and has no feelings about human life. Um, so he has practiced how to talk to people and seem like a real person. 
Have we I seen mean, this yet, or does this happen after this? No, scene? no, no. You're, you're you're correct. I'm just uh, he. I, I suppose he he does. He, you do see him like get a little bit more of a footing for socializing. Mm-hmm. He's he's still he's still weird. Oh, he's weird as shit. It's, like I don't know how he convinced this woman. So we get him out in the wilderness. Wild wilderness. We get him out in the wilderness with this family. There's a woman and two children. One of whom is credited as Grumpy. And one of them has a name, I think, George. Um, he's explaining to George about uh, about hunting, about shooting. Um, he seems to be fulfilling like a fatherly role pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, I can totally understand why he's trusted by this woman with her kids. She seems to really like him in the in the few shots that we get of him, like we see him talking to George and her in the background, like smiling doubtingly over like their interaction. Like, Oh, little George, he's doing the thing. Uh, grumpy, the younger kid clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, and, uh, I mean, that kid's got pretty good instincts. Um, so Matt Dillon and George go up in the tower and he's talking to him about, uh, hunting animals and shooting and he he gets George to sort of sight down the rifle and he pull, and Matt Dillon pulls the trigger and hits a, a target and then he explains to him why you don't why why shooting that target where he did would be a kind of a bad thing because you want to aim for the vitals and blah 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 a lot of hunting lingo and 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 theory goes into this little bit and then we get a quick shift, and the next thing we see is mom and two kids huddled under some brush, afraid. And we immediately understand that, well, I guess Matt Dillon's back at it again. Uh, I guess we should start calling him Jack. I'll start calling him Jack. He's not Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon is a, I'm sure he's not a serial killer, and he's a good man, and he doesn't kill people. I'm not sure, but I'm fairly, he's probably fine. Sorry, Matt. Your character, Jack is now back on the hunt. This the scene is just horrifying. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, like uh, they they do such a good job of they leave like that little bit of a gap between the last interaction to where they are now. Well, you so, like, get you get this sweet like it's so well performed by like the, especially the mother. Maybe I should have done a little bit more of like a credits check, but whatever. You did a really good job in this scene. Uh, she is clearly so confused and distraught and like, what the fuck is happening? Like this guy that I pretty obviously am in love with because I'm up here with my kids on a picnic. Everything's supposed to be fine and nice. And now we are being hunted. Like you get all, you get that whole thought, for like a frame of thought in a two second scene of just her face and the these types of scenes always like ah the kids like just just the stress of like you know that those kids are dead i feel like it's pretty recently that they've actually been able to kill kids on camera because i recall often growing up and and even even earlier in my adulthood watching films where like the death of a child is implied or like, like sure a kid will die, but you don't see them die on camera. And this film does not shy away from killing these kids. Like, you know that they're done. We get that one scene where grumpy breaks away from his mom and George 
and starts running across. Actually, earlier to this, like we've seen the family unit running together and we see Jack tracking them through the scope and then they get behind cover before he can shoot. And then I know that Grumpy's a kid and he probably, you know, isn't really thinking, but like, don't leave cover if you're being hunted. Like, that kid shouldn't have run. That kid was dead the moment he started running. Anyway, this dude, holy shit. He starts running. You see Jack sighting down the scope and then boom, and his leg gets almost blown clean off and just immediately hits the dirt, isn't moving, and then Jack does a smart thing and double taps and hits him in the torso with another <gasps> Jesus Christ <laughs> is it done <laughs> and then Jack hits him with another shot in the torso to make sure the job is done I don't know where those hiccups keep coming from I'm sorry man the other kid pops his head out and gets boom headshot just fucking again it was so impactful because I don't recall ever really seeing kids die so violently on camera before i don't i don't think I, I don't think i've ever seen anything like it it's it's very much like the scene with the duckling just like oh it's a like, yeah, really they really <laughs> they actually shoot those kids <laughs> yeah i mean like that what i guess i guess it must be cgi where that kid's leg gets blown almost clean off right probably i don't know so it it it, it, it looks very unsettling yeah it's yeah it's it's hard to watch okay so both kids are dead now and then the next thing we see is i think it's just like close-up shots of their picnic and then he's telling her about how his him growing up like if there was a slice of pie he would have been so happy to eat it and he makes her try and feed pie to her own kid yeah i didn't like that at all like her completely shell-shocked and disturbed and 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 so grief-stricken and 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 try like just the imagine trying to feed pie to a kid that you is yours and is dead like that's a really stupid way of saying that but like just her taking the spoonful of pie and and like pushing it up against his cold lips and they're the kids are there propped up with sticks and shit like fuck me dude uh, so that actress is a Danish actress, or sorry, Dutch actress called Sophie Krebel. Something to that effect. In any case, she hasn't been in a lot in North America. We got her name. Oh, Sophie. There you go, Sophie. Yeah, crushed it. Yeah, great job, I'm Sophie. I'm so sorry about your kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the single, like, she, she, you see her face in utter disbelief as she's, like, shaking, one single tear running down her face. Um, and then Jack, after their conversation is sort of dwindling, he asks her what her favorite number is and she tells him 12 and then he tells her that she can go. And then as he, as he start he leaves, he starts climbing the sort of deer blind tower that he took Georgie up in earlier. He starts counting loudly one, two, ah, 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 he doesn't do that. Um, and you see her like by the time he hits, I think like eight or nine she sort of like comes back to reality and realizes that he's counting towards her favorite number and she starts to run away and then by the time he gets to 12 her time's basically up he shoots her and then he has to track her and he's using this blood trail that he had previously described um 
I can't recall the German that he used. It was like a Schweitz something, um, which was a blood trail that they used for hunting classically. Um, but he eventually finds her blood trail and then finishes her off. Fuck, there's so much to unpack about this movie, and I'm sorry if we're going to run long. There's just a lot to talk about, and I feel like all of the details are pretty important to why this movie is so fucking rad. Um, but while he's, while we're seeing this scene, he's also talking to Virgil um, and talking about, he's just like illustrating uh, the hunt parade that happens in classical, like English hunting, where they uh, they go and they do their hunting and then they, they bring it back and they, the trophy parade is what they call it, where they sort of display the trophies of the hunt. Um, there's also a scene earlier where he's talking to the kids where he's describing, um, the hunting of animals and, um, I don't remember if a kid asks about him shooting a crow or if he just sees the crows and offhandedly mentions it, but then he starts talking about a culling and how he doesn't really like that word either because it's, man, there's a lot to unpack there, but at the end of this scene, oh, we also get that part where he's uh, talking about ethical hunting and how if you're if you see two fawns and a doe, the ethical thing to do is hit the smallest fawn so that the other fawn and the mother have a chance to survive. Next on the list is the middle fawn, um, so that the mother still has a chance to survive and breed. And the last thing you want to hit is the doe, which is the order in which he kills these people mm-hmm. while he's describing that. Which uh, is such a like sickly twisted. Oh, <laughs> there's that one kind of funny to him, but also sort of funny to us, but not actually funny because it's horrible. But he's like, my family was running in the wrong direction, like they they were in the wrong order. Uh, at the end of the scene, we see the bodies laid out. He's gone ahead and killed a bunch of crows, lined them up. And then lined up the bodies for our overhead camera to sort of look down on and see this trophy presentation, which is sickening, but also, uh, but illustrative of his point that he's sort of trying. It seems that at this point he's sort of trying to do something with his killings that has merit. I guess he considers himself sort of an artist. Uh, I was gonna say at this point, I think he, he starts talking more about the art, right? To it because. You know, he, he was getting there with the photos and stuff, and he's he's really kind of getting his style. Yeah, you know? yeah, he's got a, got a little bit of a, a little bit of a signature aside from his actual signature. Yeah, so yeah, it was it was a nice display. Like, um, I, I mean, it was really well laid out. I don't agree with what he's done to these people, but it visually, I mean, if they weren't human beings, then crows and stuff. I mean, cor- crows, the Corvidae family is my favorite family of birds. Uh, as a, as a side note, but. I don't agree with the flavor, but the presentation was very nice. That wasn't racist. That was a chopped reference. Frig off. I love Mindy Chohan. Chohan. Fuck. (laughs) Incident number four. Now, I don't know. I don't remember exactly where this fits in the film, but he has this one little dialogue with Virgil where he is describing how... He says, basically, picture a man between, there are two stoplights, not stoplights, streetlights, and there's a man standing under one of the streetlights, his 
Yeah, his shadow is perfectly aligned with him. And he's likening his shadow to his OCD impulses, I guess. Or his impulse to kill. So at one, at, 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 at uh, Streetlight 1, he is feeling most himself and most calm and, and satisfied. And then as he walks from that streetlight to the next streetlight, uh, the further he gets from streetlight one, the pain and intensity of his need to kill grows. And by the time he gets to the next streetlight is where the killing happens. I have completely butchered this metaphor or whatever this scene is, but I thought it was very, A, the illustration was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also that was really a really good illustration of that impulse in Killers. Where it just builds and builds and builds and builds and then all of a sudden you blow up and something happens. But he does say either around now or just slightly previous that killing was kind of the only thing that got his OCD nature under control. That was the only time he ever felt calm and not like overcome with the anxiety of like things needing to be in place. Uh, Was it the... Yeah, the family where he said like he, he got less concerned about like the cleanup yeah yeah you know i was getting a little bit more loosey-goosey i mean the 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 fact to the he he killed those people in like broad daylight yeah and i mean really anybody could have shown up at any time but they didn't bam uh but uh after this family killing and after he gets them back to the uh the deep freeze he starts talking about taxidermy, and we get this unbelievably brutal scene where we see him. He's describing his method as it's happening, but basically by using implements like 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 he plays within the time frame of rigor mortis and the freezing nature of the of the of the freezer that he has, where he we see him convert this child known as grumpy we see him convert this child into a hideously grinning basically dummy of a person i can't get that image out of my head he gets him in this this he oh guy i don't even know how to talk about it it's like a weird human mr potato head type thing where you're just like how to how to phrase what happened here? Like, like okay. he he uses he uses um he uses metal wire and things like that inserted in the kid's mouth. Basically, so before rigor mortis sets in, or it was afterward anyway. Before they're frozen, he uses the pliable nature of their bodies, and he he inserts some wire in between the kid's uh, cheeks to sort of draw it into. A way too wide smile. He gets the eyes propped open somehow. And this is the kid, mind you, who had his leg almost completely blown off. And then as he's doing this, you see him like move the kid's hand into sort of like an open palm up sort of position. And then kind of like push it back and forth as in a waving motion while the kid's laying on the table. And then finds a position that he likes and essentially creates this dummy out of a human corpse that looks like a smiling kid waving and is talking about how he improved his like disposition because the kid was grumpy or whatever it's just like so 
you see this kid come back a few times just in the background of other shots as he comes back to the freezer. But holy fuck, the first time I saw this kid's face after he did his work on it, like, and actually while he's doing the work, the sounds of like the skin and the bones and the all that shit, like, God, I'll never get out of my head. Yeah, that was just horrible. That was. There is nothing good about who you are or what you do. I don't appreciate what you do with this kid. I'll be honest. um... Leave him alone. Yeah, but the, the the actual like face was just It's it's straight up burned in my memory. Like I'll never get that out of my head. Straight up? Straight up, dude. Uh so now we get into the next incident, as it were. We see um again Jack talking to Virgil in the background uh about using like w- making himself look somewhat disabled to lower people's defenses. Which again is another thing that Ted Bundy did. He would he would he would carry a crutch around or like put himself in a cast and make himself look like he needs help. And the altruistic nature of people would be to help him. And then if he's in the right spot at the right time, boom, clonk over the noggin, get in the car. I'm gonna go do some terrible shit to you. He uses a crutch. He walks by a police officer on his way up to this woman's apartment, whom he as as he's. As we see him going up, he's explaining to Virgil, like, there's something special about this one that he, like, came as close as he possibly could have to loving her. Um, which doesn't really make a lot of sense when you see the way that he treats her. <laughs> he's got to ditch that zero. Get yourself a <laughs> This guy is... So he gets up to this apartment. She's got... This is a woman played by Riley Keough. I am... I have such a crush on that girl. Uh, he gets up to her apartment and she looks to be somewhat distraught. She unlocks all of her. She's got like three different locks on the door and lets him in and then goes and sits on the couch by herself. And she's like crying and stuff. And I think he tries to talk to her and, and she's sort of unresponsive. So he takes his toy telephone and he sort of leaves one end on the table in front of her and brings it the other end into another room and then starts talking to her and, Basically tells her that like he's not going anywhere and he's here for her and like it looks it honestly looks like he's doing a pretty good job of like being a supportive boyfriend like he he seems to he seems to be doing a good job of navigating a woman's anxiety sorry a person's anxiety not just because she's a woman I, I have anxiety too I'm not man I just I catch myself feeling like I sound like I'm a misogynist and I promised I'm not. This stupid bit. No, <laughs> uh, so he gets her. He seems to set her mind at ease, and he gets her laughing. <laughs> he eventually rejoins her on her couch, and they're chatting a little bit. They have themselves some drinks, and then he starts like there's this subtle but quick shift into him just treating her like absolute garbage. Uh, he refers to her as simple, um, kind of starts and he, he basically insinuates that she is too dumb to understand most things. And she even like, she's just trying to have like a conversation with him and he's like, well, what do you want to talk about? For instance, like what I do, like, as if that's anything engaging to talk about, like 
She she thinks he's weird. He never wants to talk about anything normal. Calls her simple. Continues to do that. She's like, I know you know I don't like it when you call me that, and he keeps doing it anyway. When they when he confronts her about the fact that she well she says you never really want to talk about anything normal, and he's like, what's normal? What I do? And she's like, well yeah. And he's like, I kill. Because at this point he's pretty drunk. Um, and then he goes on to confess that he's killed sixty people. And then uh, a little bit later, he says, "I've oh, yeah, okay, so I've killed 61 people, which immediately, as a as an observant observer, like, uh-oh, shit's about to turn south. Uh, and she's like, didn't you say 60? And then he, again, attacks her intelligence and then uh, basically goes on to really convince her that he has done bad things she escapes the apartment runs downstairs to the cop who's outside starts telling this police officer everything that she just heard and he follows her down and because they're both drunk the cop doesn't pay any attention and this is again these are straight up things that happen and have happened in previous cases like cops not so much nowadays but especially back in these times like we're so much more willing to just brush off things as like, oh, these are dumb, drunk people. Hey, you guys uh, look white enough. I'll give you a yeah, pass. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Dillon, sorry, Jack is passed out on the couch. And uh, Riley Keough is talking about getting him some pills. And then because she feels pretty uncomfortable about all of the things she's, that she's heard. Wait, have we seen the 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 titty stuff yet? Or did that happen before she runs downstairs? No. It's before she runs downstairs. No. Yeah. Oh, like when he's just... Yeah, smart. that's why she runs downstairs. She calls him weird and then yes, 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 escapes yes. the apartment. I, I thought you were... Right. So I forgot about this whole scene where he's being really mean to her and then he sort of gets sexually involved and, and drops her blouse down. And after having had her fetch him a magic marker... Uh, and then as he's talking to her, he's drawing these outlines uh, in a serrated line around her totally awesome boobs. And then she calls him weird, br- brings her shirt back up, and then there's a whole thing with the cop, and then they get back upstairs. And then uh, she notices that her phone has her phone line has been cut. So she slowly be- she quietly and slowly begins to make her way to the door as if to escape. Then notices that it's locked and she doesn't have her keys and then turns around and then Matt Dillon's standing right behind her. Um, And then uh, this whole thing ensues where she starts screaming for help and he illustrates the fact that people won't come and help. Nobody cares. Even if you're in an apartment building, even if there's a fucking cop downstairs, yell all you want and uh, no one's going to come and help you. And that proves to be true. He gets her gagged with a phone cord gets her down on the floor then cuts off her totally awesome boobs and it and to completely like i'm i that's just as tasteful it is a hundred percent like leave those tits alone like a killer shirt fucking you're gonna do what you're gonna do but why do you gotta yeah just ruin such a perfectly beautiful thing they weren't hurting you. They weren't doing anything bad. Like, I was upset when he, like, puppeteered that kid. 
But this is the scene where it's like, you know what? I'm calling the police. <laughs> You're a bad man. I was upset and now I'm angry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. I'm going to count to three. Yeah. Jack? Filthy. Like it is the practical effects that they use here <sighs> while he's cutting off her breast are so what's, viscerally upsetting. What's with this director and just... The the things that he does. To, I mean, yeah, no, there was something in Antichrist too, to, right? To each, I don't remember the titty scene in Antichrist, but I remember all I remember is the dick thing, and that mm. was horrendous. Didn't they use a dick double for Willem Dafoe because his hog was too big? <laughs> I think I've heard that. I think he's swinging a monster hog, and like it was too big that they had to use a dick double. But when when we say things like this these are the moments that i i really hope that like the people we're talking about like like willem defoe somewhere with like a glass of scotch and yeah yeah i like the sound of that <laughs> <laughs> he, he's gonna put this on his own uh, little social media really get it spread like did, did they mention me though oh wow i didn't even notice spider that. man i was just listening to the rest of the episode that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> anyway i've heard he's swinging a hammer um get on you willem Anyway, this he then proceeds to he slaps one of her t- sawn off titties. Oh, she he makes her pick the knife with which she's going to be murdered, which is unfortunate. Uh, he slaps one of her dismembered titties on the cop car's window after the cop has vacated his vehicle, and then he uses the other one as a coin purse. Uh. I guess waste not, want not, but goddamn was I not happy with how he treated, 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 treated. Yeah, I didn't like that one bit. Yeah, not one bit. God. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, I just, Uh, I I, I, I just want to. We see him using this, this titty coin purse, um, in a guns and ammo store. And he's buying what he thinks is a hollow point bullet from Daniel Faraday from, uh, Lost. I don't know if you've seen Lost, but. Uh, Daniel Faraday is one of my favorite characters. Um, anyway, that's not the actor's name. It's the character's name from Lost. I don't, I don't recall his name. and I don't really recall the character's name in this film. But uh, I don't know where that voice came from. Anyway. Uh, maybe you should just do the rest of the episode <laughs> like that. Yeah, maybe this is uh, what's going on. Ghouls and goblins. Uh, this is, uh, Josh Power coming at you again. Live and in. in okay, we're done. I'm not continuing down that road. He goes to the gun store. <laughs> and somehow the dude doesn't notice the fact that he's using a human titty as a coin purse. I mean, I wouldn't mention it. I would call the police after they left. Well, oh, I guess that's actually probably what happened because the... he does eventually. Sorry, is that an authentic human titty coin purse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Jack's trying to get a hollow point bullet and we, then he goes back to his deep freeze and we see a bunch of dudes locked on some sort of, uh, metal apparatus. They can't really move. A bunch of them are like pretty close to freezing to death and they're all sort of in a line. And we see that he's inspired by tales that he's heard from world war two, where to conserve ammo, uh, German soldiers would, would collect people, um, and tie them to like a post in a line so that they could shoot through like six heads at once and just kill six people with one bullet kind of thing. 
saying he he was just basically setting this up as an experiment to try it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to try it. He gets to uh, the point where he's about to load the bullet into the gun, and then one of the men that he's corralled into this position is like, "That's not a full metal jacket bullet, dude. Like that is just like a standard rifle round. So I mean, it's not going to work for your purposes. You're going to shoot that, and it's going to explode in someone's head, and it's not going to go all the way through." And blah, 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 blah. And then Jack gets pissed. So he peels out and he goes back to the ammo store where Daniel Faraday looks very uncomfortable at him coming back. Uh, and there's that where he he asks him in the most afraid tone if he has a receipt for the bullets that he bought. Because fucking Jack is pissed that he, bought the wrong, that he was given the wrong thing after he bought uh, what he thought were full metal Jack of bullets. Daniel Faraday is pretty clearly terrified of Jack. And then uh, Jack having no proof of purchase and in a pretty agitated state gets pissed, leaves the store and uh, goes to his buddy Sonny's place. I don't recall if this is before or after he realizes that uh, he's been he's a suspect in armed robbery. That he actually didn't do. He meets. He goes to his buddy Sonny's trailer. And then Sonny is convinced that he is an armed robber. Um, there's kind of a back and forth here. They have a conversation. It's kind of like one of the. I, I, don't, I consider like a least important. Slash least engaging sort of scene. Um, but they. Jack sort of plays possum, like, oh, you got me. Let's wait for the cops to arrive. And he's hanging out there and then kills his buddy, Sonny. Does he stab him or shoot him? Yeah, that that scene was pretty much out of my head until you brought it up. Ah, yeah. Because, yeah, I I just remember the... At at this point, like, it's the the end, really. Yeah. Well, he gets the bullet that he's looking for, in any case. And then he gets back to... His deep freeze. Oh, shit. Doesn't he kill a cop here, too? Because he takes a cop car, exits the trailer, is hiding. The cop goes inside. He steals the cop car, drives mm. away. At least, I don't know. That's that's what I have in my memory. Anyway, he ends up back at his deep freeze uh, location with the siren still blaring. Uh, as if he almost wants to get caught. These people are almost frozen to death. Yeah. At this point. Like, a few of them are, like, ready to go. And does he get the shot off? No. Okay, so... No, at this point, he... So he finally gets the right bullet. Yeah. uh, Cartridge, whatever you want to call it. Loads it into his rifle, and as he's trying to get a sight, he notices that he's set up too close. He can't get a focus through the sight to really get a clean shot. So he then, there's this door in the building that he purchased where he's never been able to open it before. He finally jams it open enough that he can bring his gun back, set it up, and get his sight sorted. And then as he's, like the siren is still wailing, I think at this point we see cops have arrived to the other wailing siren and are trying to break into the... Uh, locked and welded freezer that he's inside. Uh, he's setting up his gun to take the shot, and then he hears a voice behind him in the dark room, which is 
we realize the first time that he meets Virgil, as he's lining up this shot to fight to I don't know this sort of like his ultimate goal I guess is to try this experiment. Uh, but Virgil brings up the fact that like you never ended up getting around to building that house. <laughs> Which is totally true. Like, he was at one point obsessed. And we've totally, completely not talked about, like, these interspersed moments where he's working as an architect and, like, constructing these plans for a house and these tiny houses that he's trying to build and and these different iterations of, like, the creative process. Like, we haven't even talked about that part. I think it's easy enough to just say he consistently attempts and Mm -hmm. fails to construct a house i totally know what it's like to have like an idea in mind that you're trying to do and then over and over and over again you keep you like second guess yourself and it's never good enough and you constantly tear it down and try again yeah i i I, (laughs) i'm not trying to relate to this killer no 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 it's just like okay we've mentioned several times like especially with horror films like i i love a good house I've been passionate about real estate for so long, like since I was a kid. Like I, oh man, I, I I love structures and I love architecture. This dude sucks so hard. <laughs> he's like, you're right, and I'm doing. It. He he uses all the frozen bodies to like to build, build the, a to house? build this home, and it don't get like as a painting that'd be like, oh yeah, that's sick. Like it's it looks like a wicked metal. Cover. Honestly, it like, looks like kind of a cool fort. <laughs> okay, cool fort, but like. If that was on like the the cover of like a metal album, yeah, like, all right, like you know I can tango, but like as as someone who I can just like imagine like strolling through Google like zero bed, zero bath, made of corpses. I mean, what's the rent though in today's economy? <laughs> something like that might be up my alley. Fifteen hundred bucks a month or something. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, it's a bad house. <laughs> yeah, like Jack, um, you gotta take Ar- architect off that. Uh, list of skills you got man like he looks in for four what do you think yeah but like it, it's also not like, a lot of potential for growth in that house it, 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 <laughs> the, it's all that a real fixer upper <laughs> yeah there's a few few things you might have to do around the place but um it's shaped like a house that you would draw as a child too. yeah it's, just, it's the most simple house shape he builds a tent out of bodies. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, it, it's a fort. It yeah. is such a weird thing to look at. Like, it, <laughs> it, it's it, it's it's only comical, dude. Like how ridiculously absurd. Like the the funny thing is, like it's within the confines of the film. It's like it's a pretty cool finale, right? We're like, oh, okay, because like I was really wondering where this whole house thing was gonna come into play, yeah. and like it's like, oh. That's that's not what I would have guessed. Yeah, I mean, you find out at the end that the house that Jack built is not a house at all. Yeah, he never did. The only thing he built was this like inflated impression of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that house is ludicrous. All right, okay, okay, you guys got me. Like that, uh, I, I really enjoy when a film can carry me to the end and like sub subvert my expectations. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. Anyways. So then... This house sucks. <laughs> yeah, this house sucks. And uh, after he's constructed this house, he still hasn't taken his fucking shot. Uh, the police have started to break through his freezer door with, like, an arc welder. 
and they start taking shots at him through this little hole that they've cut into the door. Uh, and then he begins descending. Somehow there's all of a sudden like a basement uh, in the, or not a basement, but like a trap door in this house that he just built and begins descending. And I think he's following Virgil at this point. But then we see him begin his literal journey to and through hell. Which, after such a, such like a meticulously accurate portrayal of a flesh and blood serial killer, to then, within the, for the last like 10 minutes of the film, I think it takes like a pretty protracted amount of time to get through this last scene. It it felt short compared to the rest of the film, but yes, right. it, it is. Uh, like you spent some good. I think time. it's like at least five minutes, but I feel like it's more. Where there, you're probably correct. Like yeah. I'd say ten to fifteen is accurate. Yeah, um, it just it's such an interesting immediate shift from uber reality to something that is unprovably real. You know, like hell is a concept that humans have. And if you're a religious person, then you believe in hell. If you're not, then you don't. Uh, but he physically, literally goes to and through hell, uh, which I thought was... Uh, I was not expecting it at all, uh, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought this part of the film was a perfect way to end. This was a nice way to carry it out. It, I, I feel like anything else, had it remained in the real world, would this would have felt a little bit too bland. Right for, for for the trajectory that this film has, it is it is like it's such a purposefully um, it's such a purposefully artistic film, and like that is Lars von Trier. Like he is not a standard filmmaker. Like again, this is the most watchable film that he's made that I've seen, and it's still pretty stomach churning at a lot of points. Um, but yeah, this is a really nice break from reality to tie everything off jack we get actually a repeat of some of the dialogue we heard previously between jack and virgil as they're conversing and 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 virgil is leading him through the different layers of hell and they get to this point where there's a broken bridge over this fiery chasm and jack's like where does that stairway go and virgil tells him that's the way out of hell I'm pretty sure he tries to dissuade him from attempting to go that way. Like basically you're going to hell. Like there, you're not going to be able to escape that. Like don't even bother trying to go that way. And then Jack still tries to jump. And then, uh, we get this final moment of him, like scaling this rocky wall and then eventually failing and falling into the abyss. And that's how it ends. Right. Love it. Fucking perfect. I I really enjoyed the viewing experience. I don't feel compelled to rewatch it. Funny you say that, because I watched it. Uh, I watched it a Saturday night, and then specifically woke up at six the next morning so that I could watch it again before football. Like I. It is. There are so many scenes in this film that are so permanently affixed in my memory that I I don't even really need a rewatch. But I like. It's a long film, but the pacing and the dialogue are enough that it just for me it like sucks me in and keeps me engaged the whole time. 
Like I, it's, it's probably in my top ten. I it it my expectations for it weren't very high because my buddy had seen it and said like yeah you know I didn't really like it, and uh, it blew me out of the water. I'm not going to make the mistake I did last year of showing my grandmother and my mom Hereditary in Midsummer in back to back days for like a Christmas viewing because my mom and I watch horror movies at Christmas. That's kind of our thing. And I'm like oh yeah these will be good movies to show them. I was wrong. That was a bad decision, and I, the house that Jack built is not going to be the next one I recommend to my mom. Like some gremlins or something it's, at Christmas, it's, you it's know? Gotta, it's got to be, like, or like a wrong turn, or a scream, or something yeah. something more tangible that isn't vile. Wow. Exceptionally <laughs> vile. Like, holy fuck, man. You want to see just... something creepy? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, b- bravo to everybody involved. The, like, this knocked it out of the park it ends on a really high note mm-hmm. do you have a rating yeah yeah oh yeah okay there we go um i'm going to i think uh no i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it 91 uh human dolls out of 100 from a body horror's perspective, from a from a dialogue perspective, from just an overall pacing perspective, the way it's shot, everything about it just tickled every part of my movie-going brain. Like, I fucking... Parts of it were hilarious. Parts of it were really upsetting. It just... I, I love it. I love it. Fuck, I love this movie, dude. Oh, man, now I feel all... <laughs> I, feel I don't not... want to color your opinion. No, 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 I was going to say, like, I, I thought I was going to give it, like, like I, I'm, I, the, the number I got in my mind for this guy is just a nice, cool 75. Oh, which wow. Which I think is, like, I, like I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I just, yeah, I think for me, one viewing was good. Huh. Like, I have a feeling it will, I'll probably rewatch it, like, way down the road kind of thing. Like, it's yeah. almost it's almost like the eraser head syndrome where like if you find a chick that you like really dig and you yeah, want to see, see if you're gonna get along like hey watch this movie and see what you think and if she likes it then she's a keeper kind of deal you, like you, you can get through a lot kind yeah. of thing it's just yeah um on that same note I would say I, I got kind of the same feeling with eraser head where it's like a artistically I love it but it, it, this film is very hard for me to stomach eraser head is one that I like. I can see it once every seven years, ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, for this one, like stomaching, I thought that the kids part of it was was really gonna turn you off. I think that's a like for for me. I've always had a hard time with child violence. Exactly. Um, basically, like a Lord of the Flies, I think is one of like the best. Like it, it it's such a well written piece of fiction. I hate it. I, d- I despise Lord of the Flies. I have nothing but praise. Like I have nothing but good things I've to say. I've got the cons. But, but as far as my personal enjoyment for it, like, sure. I, I, I hope that I, I hope that Lord of the Flies is one of like those things where magically everything's burned. Like like like, like in the future, no no one knows about it. We have no documentation. You know, the, the author's name is forgotten to time. It, it made me that uncomfortable. Damn. Right? Uh, this one, not nearly as much. But it was still like there. There's some. There's some bits. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Mainly like the, the 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 scene with the duckling. I think in it, it's weird because all my critiques are due to how well it was executed. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's, it's so upsetting. Like 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 all of the uh, the points that are lacking from me are due to personal enjoyment, not like not no, it's of, not a technical critique no, at yeah, all. I, it's it's I, I just think for of, you as a as a viewer. Yeah, very very few technical flaws. It it was a very well executed clean package. Hell yeah. Horrible house. <laughs> That's a do not buy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you for listening this far. I know this episode was a little longer than the last few. There were a couple uh, meaty details that we really needed to sink our teeth into. Um, we want to know, do we want to know? I, at least, I, I, yeah, I want to know. I want to know what you guys think about uh, this film. Uh, anyway, send us an email at uh, cddlpod at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram account if you feel like sliding into our DMs. Or uh, looking at the sweet promos that I spend a lot of time making because they look so nice. Uh, that's CD. Nope, oh, I fucked that up already. It's <laughs> at CDDLPod on Instagram. And those are the only two places you can contact us. Otherwise, frig off. Yeah. Have a good night. Let's see what we get.